Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. All right, so grab your Bibles, and if you don't have one, our usher host dudes or ladies will give you one. And if you could open up to John chapter 4, John chapter 4. And we are going to be in verse 4 of John chapter 4. So we're going through the book of John, but we're only going through uh, the middle part, chapters 4 through chapter 12, and we are going through a series called Come and See. And the the thinking behind that is, is that we want to see how Jesus interacts with people. What What are his encounters with people and what do they look like? And Come and See is the approach that Jesus modeled, it's the rabbinical model, okay? So if you don't know what that means, Jesus was a rabbi, which means he was a teacher. Another word for that that they used to use, because the word rabbi didn't come till just before Jesus, actually. They used to call them sages, which just means really wise people. And so he was considered a rabbi. He didn't train in that. He didn't go to school for that. But he was a rabbi. And there was a saying that they would use... uh, at that time and prior to that, and, and I want to put that up here. It says, um, either let the dust of the feet of the sages as they walk cover you or sit in the dust at their feet while they teach. Now, if you haven't been to Israel, we're going to have a trip coming up in the next couple of years. And when you go there, you're going to go, wow, it's, there's a lot of dirt here. There's a lot of dust here. And they would walk uh, either barefoot or with sandals, and so dirty feet was an issue. Uh, so when they would say, either let us sit at the feet, in the dust of the feet of the sages, it's because the, they had dirty feet, and they'd have dust on it. And another way to look at that was you would walk behind your rabbi. You'd watch how they walk, how they move, how they live. And if you're walking behind them, You would walk in their dust, or another way to say that word is the powder of their feet. So you'd be walking so close to them because you're observant. You're you're watching them. You're paying attention. You're observant. You're so close that you're surrounded by the dust from their feet. And so when we say to come and see, what we want to do is come so close to these scriptures and look so intently that we will see what Jesus sees, to see how he talks to them, see how he speaks, to see the situation as it unfolds. And so I'm going to give us all a test right now, and it's a group test. So um, you're going to be in groups of five or so, but it's a very small test, very small. So what we're going to do is we are going to look at uh, this passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus interacts with this woman at a well. And we'll get deeper into that, but If you go to the next slide, I want us to look right here at one of the things he says to her. And as I read this, I want you to try to picture the woman. With just what you see here, try to picture the woman. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I'm giving you no background, we're not going, just that. 
But already, because we, we make quick decisions, you have a picture or a description of that person. So in groups of five to six, describe that woman. Not everybody has to respond. If you see someone off to their side like this, invite them in. If they're like, no, I don't want to talk to you, don't push them. Nobody likes that person. But in groups of five to six, some of you describe this woman. Okay? I'll give you a few minutes. Ready? Go. All right. So we'll start to wrap it up. Well, you guys wrap that one up real fast. So where we're headed this morning, you have a little bit of a hint from the passage that I just gave you in the test, I hope, is that in one way or another, we were able to see this woman. Doesn't mean it was accurate, but we have a perspective of what we think this woman is like, just based on this. We make very quick decisions. We make very quick judgments. We have to. It's how you survive. And because of that ability, we can sometimes take that out into other areas. And the thing about perspective is it's, it's much like an accent. Everybody has one, and most of us have different accents. So when you look around the world, there's all these different accents. And when we come together, and we actually speak the same language, and we hear them speak, well, they've got the accent, right? Because it's not us. They're the ones that speak weird. That's how we do with people. So when we see a situation that's different from us, we assume that it looks like we see it looks. It's with our accent. It's with our perspective. Um, or another way to say it is, and, and this is one of my favorite ones I heard someone say, an opinion is like a belly button. Everybody's got one. And everyone usually has a different one. And so in this situation, we look at this woman, and we're going to make a judgment. And usually, it's going to be something from our own perspective. We're not going to be able to step out of ourselves. We may even see ourselves in this person, but they may be nothing like us. Or we know someone like this woman, and we're like, oh, she's exactly like that woman. When I've read this passage time and time again, I've always seen my mom. My mom's married four times. And so I automatically go to my oh, this, oh so Jesus talked to my mom. Really? We're going to slow it down. We're going to look at this passage, but we need to look at it with new eyes. We need to be willing to think, maybe I'm the one with the accent here. So open up to John chapter 4, and um, I'm going to actually use my phone because my eyes are getting so messed up nowadays that I can't read those small Bibles that we have. Um, did we pass out the Bibles? We did? Thanks, Jerry, for the nod. Gave me the thumbs up. Or did you get the only one? And all the people behind you didn't get one, but as long as you got one, that's all that really matters. All I can see is myself. Okay, so we look here in verse 4, and I'm going to kind of tell the story, and we're going to take little pit stops here and there. And to start with, uh, Jesus in, is in um, uh, Judea, and he's heading up to Galilee, which means nothing to you. So imagine, like, basically going from San Diego. He's like, hey, I'm in San Diego, and I got to get to San Francisco. And it said he had to go through Samaria, which is in the middle, like L.A., but no one wants to go through L.A., right? And if you're Jewish and you say you have to go through Samaria, that's like saying, hey, I live in suburban San Diego. I got to go through Watts. You're thinking, no, I'm not. I've never been there. I feel uncomfortable. They don't look like me. I'm scared. I've heard stories. That's what it's like 
So when you hear that it says he had to go through Samaria, everyone's like, uh, no, you don't. Everybody knows that if you're Jewish, you don't go through Samaria. Even if it's on the way, you go around for so much background that we're not going to get into, but basically for extreme prejudice, for extreme racism. But it says here that Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he comes to this area, special area in the tradition of the Jewish people, and um, uh, it involves Jacob, one of the patriarchs. And as he goes there, it says that he's exhausted. He's tired. And it says it's around the sixth hour, which means it's noon. So there you go. If you ever read there, it's the fifth hour, the twelfth hour. What hour is that? Their day starts at 6 a.m. So sixth hour is noon. When you go to Israel, you don't want to be outside anywhere at noon, especially in the desert near a well, because it's hot. And so he's tired, and he's on this journey, and now he's out there at noon. And it says a Samaritan comes, but it's a Samaritan woman. So not only is she Samaritan, it's Samaritan Jews don't interact, but it's a woman. And women, women and Jewish men, women, Jewish men do not talk to women in general, and they do not talk to Samaritan women at all, because they're so prejudiced and so racist at this time that they consider them dirty. They consider themselves above. And this Samaritan woman comes at noon. We're like, okay, she comes at noon, and you want to move on. Why in the world is she going at noon? Again, we want to come and see. We want to look and see what's really happening here and see this woman. The women do not come at noon to get water because it's hot. As we all know, women are smart. Why in the world would they come at noon? They come in the morning. They come when it's nice and cool, and they all come together at the same time. Why? Because women like to be together. Men try to avoid each other. Women, woohoo! And the men are like, oh, where were you? Oh, you know, I was working. No, they were hanging out and talking. They got the water three hours ago, but they're hanging out because they love to be together. But this woman is by herself at noon. No one comes at noon. Maybe they'll come at 9 because they woke up late. Maybe they'll come at 10. Maybe not at noon. But this is when this woman comes. Why? We'll look at that in a little bit. The Samaritan woman says, well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, so why are you asking? Like, she's bringing up the obvious. Why are you talking to me? Not that she's angry. She's just kind of shocked. Although we probably assume she's angry, right? Because as we go through this, don't use your own accent. Don't use your own perspective. Try to see with new eyes what's happening here. How can you ask me for a drink? And then in, in the Greek, it doesn't have the actual parentheses around there, but for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, like we talked about. So Jesus starts, and he, you'll notice from here on out, he never gets a drink of water. He asks her for a drink of water, but he's really not asking her for a drink of water. As we're going to talk about in a series coming up this next year, we're going to look at all the questions of Jesus. And when he asks questions, he's really not looking for answers. So when he's saying, hey, how about give me a drink of water? He's not really saying, hey, I'm really thirsty. Can you hook me up with some water? He's got something else here. He had to be here. He had to be here through Samaria, and I believe he had to be here for this woman. Because this woman needed God to come to her at this moment, at this place, at this time. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked me to give you water. She looks, and she's, she's like, you ain't got anything to draw water with. 
So she's still thinking about buckets and water. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And so she's going on these paths, she's like these little rabbit trails, and he keeps bringing her back to where he wants to take her because it's where she needs to go. That's what Jesus' questions do. When God brings a question to you, he's trying to take you where you need to go for you to think about what you need to think about. So he says, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, well, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming here to get this water. Because she's not really looking forward to these moments. She doesn't enjoy this. It's not like, oh, great, I got that time in my day where I get to go get the water. She hates it. And so when he starts talking about this physical water, she gets all excited, but that's not what he's talking about. And then he tells her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now, I had you all describe, well, not all of you, but ask you to describe this woman. I'll give you my picture. This is the picture I've always looked at. And it's definitely one with an accent. I'd always imagined my mom. Um, my mom's a very broken person. She's been married four times. There's been a lot more men in her life. Um, and it was always a mirage. She was always looking and struggling to reach, hoping that the man would fix the problems. And, of course, that's never the way it works. Um, as we've talked about here plenty of times, in marriage or otherwise, the other person can't fix you. They can't make you happy. That's something the Lord has to do, and you are here to make them happy. And the only way that's going to happen is by you drawing near to the Lord, and then you're here to provide for them. Yet, when I saw this, I assumed that the woman in this story, well, that must be her story. I don't even think about looking at it from a different perspective. Or, another way you could look at it is that this, this woman was a mess. She was really flirty. She just was always going from one man to the next. She would leave this man, or she'd leave that man. With my mom, the man left her. But the other perspective, okay, well, it's not my mom, and it's got to be this woman where... She just keeps leaving the men. She's having affairs left and right. And for centuries, that's how most often this passage is translated. That's how most people see it. Why? Because most of them are men. Most of the people that are looking at this are men. And they see as men can. And they don't think outside. We don't think outside. And even women, the same women that are shaming this woman so that she has to come at noon or at least she feels shamed, are thinking the same way. Must have been something she did. How do we know the men didn't have the affairs? How do we know that she wasn't just the most loving and caring person and these men all just left because she didn't have anything that they really wanted to hold on to? How do we know that the men that she had before didn't all die? Did that even cross our mind? Or did we automatically, like a belly button, have an opinion and judge this woman where she was at? 
It's got to be her fault. She must have messed up. Now, regardless, this woman, even if she'd been a widow, she would have felt shame. What's wrong with me? What did I do to be in this situation? Because that's what men and women do. Well, it must be my fault. How lonely, how dark must be this woman's day every day. Now, we still don't know the situation, but usually we are the ones to pass judgment and to frame another person into a box that fits our perspective instead of coming with open eyes and even more importantly, with an open heart. Because even if this woman was sleeping around all over the place, let's see how Jesus interacts with her. Because we don't know the situation. It's all left open for a reason. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if she's done everything right or done everything wrong. What matters is Jesus' approach to her. We need to see him and how he interacts with her. So she responds to Jesus, Sir, I could see that you're a prophet. Now, he, notice how she starts redefining him. At first, hey, you're a Jew. Now, she said, sir. And now, she's calling him, maybe you're a prophet. I could see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but Jews claim that we must, place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She starts talking about theology. That doesn't matter right now. That's not why he had to go through Samaria. Well, let me set you straight here. Where you should be worshiping, it's about her and her heart. The heart is what worships. And he needs to set her free so that she can worship, whether it's on this mountain, whether it's at the well, whether it's at her house. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit. And His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Then the woman says, I know that the Messiah, the Samaritans knew there was a Messiah, there was a Christ that was going to come, the Anointed One. When He comes, He's going to explain everything to us. And then Jesus says, I who am speaking to you right now, I'm him. I'm he. And just then his disciples return. Okay, his disciples walk into this situation and they see the woman, they know she's Samaritan, and they look at him and they're like, oh my gosh, because he's breaking the rules. You're not supposed to do the same thing the woman said. Why are you talking to me? The boys arrive. And they're thinking the same thing. But it says, no one asked. <laughs> no one spoke up. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Why? Because they know better now. Because they have walked in the dust of Jesus for long enough. They're like, here he goes again, doing something crazy. What's he doing now? They know better. They've gotten used to thinking, all right, he's doing something different because this guy does everything different. And so the woman leaves. Why did she leave? Not really sure. Maybe because they arrived. But it says that she left her water jar. Oh, she's going to come back and get it. It's not like she doesn't need water anymore. But water's no longer important. Remember how important water was before? 
Now she's, she's, she's taken off. So what is she going to do? She goes back to the town. All the people that she's trying to avoid, all the people that she's trying not to interact with, because she comes to this well at noon, now she's coming back, and she's like giving speeches. I don't know, it doesn't say where she went. It says she goes back to the town, and she says to the people, not just a couple people, but to the people, come and see. Do you hear that phrase? She's telling them now, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Okay, what's happened here? This woman who by the disciples, by me, and by most of us, and the women and the people of this village, this woman who's been shamed, who's been ostracized, who's been marginalized, who's been put outside, who's been judged, she now decides, "Uh uh-uh, all of you, I don't care. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you've said. I got to tell you this. So she enters into this situation with Jesus, broken, and runs away happy. Now, when we hear these words of Jesus, and we hear him going, oh, go get your husband. Oh, what, you ain't got one? No, you've had five, and the one you're living with isn't him. That's how we hear him saying it. But that's not how she heard it, right? Because she's all excited, because if he had approached her that way, would she be running back and telling everybody, guess who I just ran into? Would she respond that way? If you believe that you hear God's voice, and that voice is tearing you down, I can tell you it's not from him. That doesn't mean that God's not going to be direct and be truthful. It doesn't mean he's not going to say something that you don't want to hear. It's like, oh, yeah, that's true. But it will not break you down. This woman came broken and ran away with some kind of joy and some kind of courage to the point where she's going to come back to people that don't like her. Or if they don't like her, or let me rephrase that, if, they, if they're indifferent, she's had the perception that they don't like her. And most of the time when you think that people don't like you, that's from you. I don't know what her situation is. But I do know from the many counseling sessions and things I've done with others and what I've seen in my own life, what I've done, is most of the time we take our perception of ourselves and place it on other people. When we feel dirty or ugly or whatever, or if we feel temperamental or if we feel impatient or whatever, then we think everybody else must see that as well so they don't like us. So you know what we do? We just say, oh, that person doesn't like us. Well, that's probably not the truth. And even if it is, so what? This woman has a joy now from this brief interaction with Jesus to the point where she is now going and telling these people, you got to come and see this. And remember I told you that sometimes our perception of what people think about us is not accurate? Well, it says that they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. It's still the middle of the day. It's still blazing hot. If it's me, I'm like, that's a, Ethel, that's a very, that's, that's an interesting story. Maybe you should bring him here where we're in the shade. Like, I wouldn't go to that kind of effort. So what kind of interaction do they have with this woman? In their eyes, she must have had some kind of credibility because now they're going out. This is what I see in this situation. What I see is that when Jesus 
interacts with people, they come back higher than when they started. They come back with more joy. They come back with more of a fullness, with more of a, there's no other word for it. They're set free. This woman, by her interaction with Jesus, is set free. And she's set free because Jesus had to go through Samaria. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew if you went somewhere, people would be there? So you went around because you didn't want to interact? I do that all the time. I'm going to be straight up honest. I've been out in public, and I've seen some of you, and I've gone, oh, I don't think I can handle this right now. And I might even really like you, but I feel insecure. I feel uncomfortable in my own skin. I'm like, ah. And so I go around. I remember my, my buddy George, uh, who's a pastor, he said the exact same thing from up front. He said it exactly the same way, and somebody came up to him later like, hey, man, this is back when we had blockbusters. And uh, he said, I saw you on Blockbuster. I avoided you too, man. <laughs> because that's, it's not just the pastoral thing. It's people. It's what we do. We get to that point sometimes where we just, we want to go at noon. So this week, I, I did not feel well at all. It's one of those days where I did not feel well. And, um, you know, trying to put weight back on after losing it all. And so uh, I got a craving. Whenever I get a craving, I'm on it. The craving was Baja Chicken Burrito. I don't like driving anywhere. Didn't matter. Craving hit, got to put on the weight, boom, I'm in the car. And at our Baja Fresh, you can park here and walk, and you see, I, I see everybody. Hey, what's up, what's up? And I'm like, but there's this little secret spot right next to it where you enter, you can park on the side, rent it to the Walmart, and then you slide in to where the bathroom door is. You go right to the pickup, boop, boop, you're in and out. I ordered ahead of time and everything. But as I'm driving, and I don't want to get hyper-spiritual about it because it wasn't a hyper-spiritual thing, but it's like, you know what? I may need to see someone. Not they may need to see me. I may need to see them. Because what we don't see here in this passage, which we're not going to study right now, Jesus later on is describing to his disciples after they kind of freaked out about this. He's like, they're like, well, you didn't have any food. And what about this? He's like, look, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, which is another way to say, look, I get energized. My strength does not come from food and water. It comes from doing what God wants me to do. He had to go through Samaria. He knew he had to go through there. And when I was pulling up, I'm like, you know what? I'm here on this earth to be with people, to love them. We're all here to do that. And so I'm like, I, gotta, I can't hide. And so I pulled into the main spot at the far part because I've got a long car because you can't just pull in tight spots. And I had to walk straight through. And sure enough, there he is, Jeff. So... One of, one of my old Young Life kids I haven't seen in years, Jeff Richardson, walks up. He's on the phone. And uh, I always have to say who I am nowadays because I've lost so much weight. My face has changed so much. Now the hair's falling out. So I'm like, Jeff, it's Boog, because I didn't know if he recognized me. So he's sitting there on his phone. He's like, I'll call you back. And he puts his phone down, and we hug. And we're just, he's like, how you doing, man? Because he heard everything that happened. And we're just talking. I didn't get in this big conversation with, hey, are you walking with the Lord? Have you fixed this? Have you fixed that? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Hey, have you read your Bible? Are you coming to church? I haven't asked all those questions. Did you notice that Jesus didn't do any of that? If you read this passage from beginning to end, he doesn't say, now, don't go sin anymore. Hey, on your way back, go talk to the man, get married. Hey, you guys shouldn't be living together. You need to fix this. He doesn't say any of that stuff. Is that stuff important? Yes. But he doesn't. Why? 
I don't know. But he doesn't. And we need to come and see. We need to walk so close. And so I'm sitting there with Jeff, and oh, all those questions are there, but I'm just praying. I just love this guy. And I can see by the look on his face that he loves being with me too. We're just talking. And um, he goes, you know, and we just talked. He's, I'm, I'm here for a while. Let's get together. And you know how that works. Are we really going to get together? Did we just talk about it? Is it going to happen? Is it not? So we've been texting back and forth. And, um, and here's the other beauty. This doesn't happen to Jesus. He never gets his water. But I got, out of that deal, I got 12 pounds of ahi. He had it all in the back of his truck. That's what he does. He's like, do you like, can you eat fish with this new? I'm like, yeah, I can eat. And he's like, hey, hold on a second. Come over here. Opens up a cooler. Boom, boom, boom. He starts pulling out his ahi. I had to park at the end. But that's not the real joy with which I left. It was just that, I mean, I can't speak for him. He said in his text, to so good senior, you've been such an inspiration to me. Those years we walked together when I was in high school, like, love you, man. I'm so glad you're still here on this earth. And I was feeling the same thing towards him. The food that we have is to do the will of him who sent us. There are people that you are supposed to go see. See, we hear this, and we can take this passage, and we can put it in our own language. I need Jesus to meet me where I'm at. I need him to embrace me. He does. And when you realize that, then you'll be set more free to do what you are meant to do, which is to go and embrace others, not hide from them. Let's be honest. There's times where you need a break. There's times where you're like, I just don't have it in the tank. Right, Mama T? <laughs> I saw Mama T go like this. I'm just going to call you out. We're the same way. There's times where you're like, I just don't have it. And there's times where you need to not do it. There's been times with my own family, I'm like, if they come in right now, I'm probably going to be a jerk. I should probably go read. I should probably spare them. But our calling is to be with people. We have to go. And we have to be intentional about it. This week I sent out an email. Let's be honest here. I don't really send it out. I write it up. I say, Kim, I can't figure this out. Can you send it out? And then Kim or Dave sends it out to everybody. But you got an email. We put it on Facebook. I don't think we put it on Instagram. But um, just saying, hey, there's a women's uh, W night. Um, if you guys haven't figured this out, W is for women. So if any of you men see a thing for W, you're like, that sounds cool. You're not invited. There's other stuff for you. There's men's stuff and there's stuff all together, but the W stuff is just for the ladies. But I, I, I get to see my wife with her friends. I get to see her with women, and I get to see the energy that she gets from being with them. And no matter how much we put on Facebook, or put it on social media, or stand up here and give announcements, that will never really work. What has to happen is women have to go to other women and say, hey, you want to come? Even if you don't know them. Some of you walk in here on a Sunday morning, like I've seen that person every time. I don't know them. So I better not talk to them. Oh, yes, you can. You can say, I haven't met you before. Are you going? Or some of you are that person. You come, you sit by yourself, and you're just waiting for someone to come to you. Well, maybe you have to be the one because other people don't have enough courage yet, and you just have to step into it. I was walking out the other day during the feast, saw a couple men hanging out, and there were two, two, two men talking to this other guy, and the guy uh, has been around for a little while, and they're like, you got to come to men's retreat. And then one of the guys looked at me, we're trying to push him and make him go. <laughs> I said, I don't know if that's the best approach, man. <laughs> but the meaning behind it was so healthy. It's like we just want him to be there. Who doesn't like to be invited, even if you don't want to go? 
it always just makes it something to, to, to know that someone's reaching out to you, that someone for some reason had to come to you and invite you. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to call someone out because that's the beauty of being a smaller church is we get to do that kind of stuff. Um, so someone's saying, hey, do you know this guy named Jim? Jim's in the back. I won't make him stand up or do anything, but I'm like, uh, Jim, Jim Lorenzen, I, I've heard the name. And they're like, you know, the guy with all the tats, kind of scary looking. And I was like, no. And then when they said it, I was like, no, I, I do know that guy. Why? Because I made a quick decision on who he was. I'd see that guy, I'm like, oh, I know that guy's whole story. I had no clue that guy's whole story. Because when they said his name, I'm like, oh, that guy. Because I knew the name. I knew the name because he's been an influence in so many men's lives. He's reached out and had an impact in so many other guys. But what did I know about him? What I saw. I saw a guy that was a lot buffer than me. He's got cooler tats. He's, he's about my age, yet looks 20 years younger. Not very cool. That intimidates me as well. So I made all these pictures. What if he was just visiting, waiting for someone to invite him, but nobody did because they're like, dude, that guy doesn't fit. He's got an accent. We've had people from all walks of life, all different kinds of accents. This has to be a community where we follow Jesus, where we walk in the dust of the rabbi. And when we walk behind him and see how he interacts with people, he embraces people, regardless of their background or their present ground, to lead them in love towards holy ground. That sounded good, didn't it? Sounded really good. Yeah, I stole that. And I've shared that with you guys before. It's, on, it's, it's uh, going on our website and all this. My friend Buzzy, he shared that. He goes, man, I, I was writing this thing down about our church the other day. And after I wrote it, I stepped back and I looked at it. And I said, that's good. And he read it to me. I went, that's good. I'm stealing it. And he said, you can steal it. You don't even have to give me credit, man. It's, it's not for me. It's because he's watching Jesus. Because he's coming and seeing Jesus. That's who we need to be. That's this community. Can you put that phrase up there? It should be the last slide. We embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground so that we can love them to holy ground. Families need to be reaching out to families from in this community of faith and outside. People with long hair, short hair. People that smoke that don't smoke. People that drink that don't drink. The youth need to be reaching out to other youth and inviting them, whether they're part of this community or outside whether they're cool, whether they're uncool, whether they're jocks, whether they're surfers, whether they're, I can't remember all the cliques and they've all changed anyways, but you get the point. Children, children get it. Hey, daddy, can this person, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I have to talk to their parents, I don't know, freak their parents out, I'm not going to invite them. We embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground to love them to holy ground. That's why we're here. We have to do this. Jesus, if Jesus has to do it, then we have to do it. We have to put ourselves out there, be uncomfortable, because that's what love looks like. So as we continue to go through this series, let's try to imagine a community where we are loving like Jesus loves. So I'm going to invite the worship team up, um, and they're going to lead us in prayer and worship. So if you guys could stand with me. Like we, um, we try to do 
all the time. We're going to have uh, people out here praying for you. If you want to be prayed over, they're not going to counsel you. Uh, they're not going to give you direction. They're just going to pray with you for whatever that is. Um, maybe there's someone you know you need to go to, you have to go to. Or maybe you feel like someone that's shamed and you just can't get over yourself. And you just need someone to pray because you need to be released from that. You need to know the absolute reckless love of Jesus to you. Maybe that's what you need to know. But whatever it is, they'll be out here for you uh, to be prayed over. And I'm going to pray for the offering as well. And um, we will, this time is a time of prayer, which is another way to say speaking to God. So, Father, uh, above all, we want to know the love that this woman had. We want to know that one thing, that love that you have towards us, that amazing, non-condemning love. Your word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, we want to have that kind of understanding. It's so hard for us to believe that even when we hear it and know it, we start to talk ourselves out of it. So, Father, may the only voice we hear be yours. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.